Well, as we look at that reading today, to start, I'd just like you to imagine that you've just received an invitation to a dinner party at someone's house. Now, firstly, imagine that this invitation has come from one of your best and your oldest friends. How do you feel about that? Pretty good, I think. A sense of anticipation. You're going to have a good time. Now, imagine that you've received another invitation, and this time it's one that you're not really that pleased to receive. Um, a dinner party that you know, if you go, it's not going to be one that you enjoy. So just think, what kind of person would make you feel that way? Now, there's probably many different answers to that question, but I think one of the kinds of people who might make a dinner party unpleasant to go to, for me, is someone that we might call the know-it-all. We know what that word means. Someone who is very impressed with their own intelligence and their own learning on every topic under the sun and can't wait to share it with everyone else, whether they want to hear it or not. And these people love dinner parties. Um, and it's not the sort of person you want to sit next to at the party, though. And there's a simple telltale phrase, I think, that we can listen for to tell us whether, in fact, we are speaking to a know-it-all. And I'll tell you today. That is the phrase, well, actually, <laughs> might have heard this, well, actually. So we might say, politely, oh, there's been a lot of rain recently, hasn't there? And they reply, well, actually, it's been one of the driest summers since records have been kept. Have you had a conversation like that ever? Yeah. You know the sort of thing. We're corrected by someone who knows better. Well, actually. Anyway, in our reading today, we hear Jesus got a dinner invitation from a bit of a know-it-all, a man, a Pharisee named, named Simon. Now, we've already seen the Pharisees appear as characters in Luke's Gospel as we've read through this series. Now, for those who missed those passages, just a reminder, the Pharisees as a group were a fairly strict religious sect in Judaism of the time. And they were very concerned about keeping the law of Moses very carefully and encouraging other people to do the same. And we will see, and we see more, that they tended to clash with Jesus in his time because he was not focused on that, on that sort of religious and moral concern that they have, but he was more concerned on what he called the kingdom of God, people's experience of God's spirit, experience of his grace. And he tended to break a lot of the rules at times that they liked people to keep. Later on in the Gospel, we see they came to decide Jesus needed to be dealt with quite severely, of course, the crucifixion. Um, but at this point, they were still trying to figure him out and discuss his positions as a teacher. And so he could still get an invitation to a dinner party with the Pharisees. Now, I don't know about you, when I read this, it sounds like a fairly open house that Simon had to me, though, because during dinner, this woman comes in who wants to see Jesus. And she's obviously known him before, or she's been affected by his teaching or ministry, and she gives him the honour of washing his feet and anointing them with this very expensive perfume from the alabaster jar. It's a sign of special respect to Jesus. And she's filled with emotions, obviously, whether sadness or joy or a combination of the two, it's not clear, but she's very invested in this engagement. And so she's obviously encountered something special in Jesus. She wants to give thanks. She wants to bless him. And what a nice thing it is that she's doing. And Simon the Pharisee watches this happening and says, well, actually, <laughs> well, actually, this woman 
is a sinner. If Jesus knew, he thought, who she really was, he wouldn't accept this kind of ceremonial display of honour from her because it would actually shame him by associating with her. Now, it's not clear what it means when it says she's a sinner, but I can tell you it's usually a good assumption that when someone calls a woman a sinner, that they mean she's had a few relationships that are not socially approved. Now, so this is a bit of an awkward display for Simon the Pharisee. He's not comfortable. So, Now, he's not actually that bad of a know-it-all, I think, because he doesn't re- share his well-actually comment with Jesus directly. He just sort of says it to himself. But Jesus being Jesus and actually knowing it all. Uh, (laughs) He knows what Simon's thinking. And so he gives him a little lesson about what's really happening here. So we saw Jesus tells a short parable about a moneylender who forgives two debts, one of 500 denarii, another of 50 denarii, so one's 10 times larger than the other. Now, it's hard to get exchange rates correct, and and with inflation as it is, it's hard to tell how much the Australian dollar's worth. But in today's term... Terms, it might be something like the difference between, you know, owing someone one month of an average income and owing like a year's worth to someone. And so Jesus draws out of Simon the fairly obvious judgment that the person who's been forgiven the larger debt ten times as much is, is, is more likely to be thankful and grateful than the other person. Pretty obvious. It's easy to understand. And so the comparison then, obviously for us, is very straightforward, perhaps between Simon himself and the woman washing Jesus' feet with her tears. Simon has given Jesus some recognition. He's invited him to his house and been polite. But he hasn't treated him, Jesus says, with any particularly special honour. He hasn't gone above and beyond. But this woman has given a lavish outpouring of respect and love for Jesus because it's implied, like the person who owed 500 denarii in the parable, she's been forgiven a lot more and therefore loves a lot more. So here's the setup that we're here. What does this story mean, though? So I think that as we look at this, this is a story about the meaning of grace. And one of the things that Jesus brought to us in terms of experiencing the grace of God. So this is a story about the meaning of grace. We talked a lot about grace already this morning, common grace, and there's lots of grace, different ways of talking about it. So I want us to talk about grace as we apply this story today, because I think we need to get underneath this idea of grace a bit more, if we're going to appreciate what Jesus says here to Simon about this woman. Now, the word that we use as grace, and the word that appears as grace in our Bibles, it comes from a word in Greek that means a gift, indicate something that's given freely to someone without payment. And so when we talk about grace as Christians, what we're actually talking about are the things that God gives us that we don't have to pay for, that we don't have to earn and usually can't earn from him. That's grace, all the things that God gives us. Now, there are many of those, actually. I want to mention a few of them in a minute. But the key thing that I think we should take away from this story is that what Jesus is teaching us here is that the grace of God is unlimited. The grace of God, his gifts, have no limit. The only limit that God's grace encounters is the limits of the acceptance that we give it. Let me explain. 
As we read this parable and this story, we might be tempted to think, I think that what Jesus is saying to Simon is that the reason that the woman loves Jesus more than Simon does is because she's a worse sinner than Simon and so she's been forgiven more. That she owes more to God for for her life and she's been forgiven more and so of course she's more grateful than a righteous person like Simon might be, a modest sinner that he is. But as I looked at this more deeply, I I think we must note that this is not really the sequence of events that's described here. If we pay attention, it is actually only after the woman has already weepingly anointed Jesus' feet with her love and gratitude that Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. After. The words about the forgiveness of her sin and debt come only after, she, after she's actually shown that she's already received grace for because of the great love that she has for Jesus. And then he says to her, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I argue that the truth of the matter is that the difference between her and Simon is not that she's a greater sinner than he is, but that she is more willing to ask for and accept God's grace of forgiveness for her sins than Simon is. Therefore, because she's more willing to ask, more open to receive, she is more full of grace. She is more full of love and thankfulness to God for what Jesus has done for her. She has created more capacity in herself to receive grace, so she receives more. And that's why I think she's been forgiven more, because she's been willing to ask for more to be forgiven. And that's why I think I say that God's grace is unlimited. It fills, I believe, whatever space is available in our lives. She's made more space than Simon did. Christians, I think, have often unfortunately thought a bit about grace, like Simon the Pharisee did, that God measures his grace out to us based on what we deserve or some feature of us. That there is a limited amount of grace available, that the work of Jesus on the cross was a kind of finely measured program to achieve just enough forgiveness for those who might accept it, not a drop more. Well, actually, (laughs) we should know, I think, from what Jesus says, that there is no limit to what his grace and what he offers. It extends to everyone. I think the difference is just how ready we are to accept it. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 44 to 45, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's grace is so abundant that it even benefits people who are opposed to it. And he doesn't hold back. It's unlimited. And the death of Jesus on the cross was enough for everything that ever could or would or possibly might be needed for the forgiveness of everyone. As the Apostle John says in his first letter, first letter 1 John 2, verses 1 to 2. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So grace, God's gift, has no limit. And so we're talking, when we talk about grace, it's unlimited. And the reason why I say this with such confidence is that I think we need to think about grace more deeply. I, think that, I believe that we should see that it's not just in the forgiveness of sins when we see God's grace and gifts to us. And if we start to look around, we can see God's grace everywhere. 
In fact, if we see it from the right angle, everything, certainly everything positive in our lives is a result of God's grace. It's a gift of his. So think about it. Even the fact that we exist at all, the fact that we are alive, is a gift, isn't it? It's a grace. Did you earn it, this life that you were given? How? How could you? It has to be received from God. We can't earn the gift of life. We can't give it to ourselves. And the fact that we go on existing and have what we need, it can't really be earned either. It needs to be received from the gifts that God's already put in the world to nourish us and and allow us to live. We can't create those things. They're already there to be found and to be used. And our capacity to enjoy anything and have fun and positive experiences in our lives, I think that's a gift too. It's grace. Is it necessary? Does life have to have joy in it and all the good things that it has? Not really. Can we earn that? No. We have those things because God wants us to have it and he just gives it to us freely. And of course, any healing, forgiveness and the new life that we receive from Jesus when we believe in him, that's grace too. And that's what what he's talking about here. It's something we can't earn and we don't have to. So what I'm saying is God's grace is pouring out on us, we can see it, from beginning to end. From the beginning of our existence to wherever it ends up. Like rain that falls from the sky. Unless we block it, it'll, it'll hit us. We'll receive it. And that's why I believe that the followers of Jesus, like this woman, and those who were most enthusiastic about him, were people like her. Those women who encountered him, who knew and accepted that they needed his grace and were willing to receive it. It was a feature of Jesus' ministry. Um, And the woman at the party obviously was one of those people. But as we see at the end of our reading, many of Jesus' closest followers were women like her. From verses uh, 1 to 3 of chapter 8, it says, After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others, many others. So these women were people who had enough awareness of their need for God to receive his grace as much as they could. Simon the Pharisee was not one of those people, sadly for him, even though he knew it all. He didn't know what he needed to know. So I think as we read this for today, I'd like us to talk about an idea you might call a circle of grace or a cycle of grace. So if we accept, as Jesus says, that God's grace is unlimited, one of the things that does is it breaks the calculating mindset that we might have about how we relate to God and other people. So the feeling that we need to keep a record of what we've been given and what what we've given other people so we can make sure everything balances, that everyone's been paid back for everything they've given. Do you think you can pay back God for everything he's given? (laughs) Don't try So a few weeks ago when we talked about the Sermon on the Plain, I talked about the rules of the kingdom of God that Jesus put forward. One of those rules was the idea that in the kingdom of God, the more that we give, the more that we receive. Because the kingdom of God is based on this unlimited grace that God has. Everything just keeps coming from him. So the more you give, the more you receive from him. So when it comes to grace, therefore, I want to suggest it's also true that the more we receive, then the more that we give. 
So the more grace you're open to receiving, the more you're able to give out to other people as well. So imagine grace as a circle. It connects us with God and with other people. And the more we receive from him, the more we can give out to others as well, and then we can give back in grace and thankfulness to God. Grace creates more grace. The more we give, the more we receive, so on and so on. That's a virtuous circle that Jesus is inviting his disciples into when we believe in him. It's good news. We often pray the Lord's Prayer in our services here at St Mark's, and we're going to do that today. And sometimes people wrestle with the line that says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I think that's on the screen there. What does that mean? It's very complicated. It's a difficult saying because it seems to us, I think, to suggest that unless we forgive other people, we won't be forgiven. Um, I think it, like, it's a legal thing. It's a rule. Um, I think it might be more helpful to think of it in terms of this circle of grace and get how, it get how does that circle get started? So we ask for forgiveness from God and as we receive it, that starts this thing and we are able to give forgiveness to other people. Or you could start it the other way. You can start forgiving other people and that makes you more capable of receiving forgiveness yourself from God. It's a circle of grace. I think that's what's maybe what is being talked about in this prayer. We're asking God to start in us the cycle of grace and it'll give us a way into this life with him. That's one way to understand it anyway. As we pray, what do we ask today? Let's think what we're asking him. So as we move forward today, I want to encourage us all, uh, let's make a move into this circle of grace. Uh, either let's allow ourselves to receive forgiveness from God, even for things we don't think we need forgiveness for, or extend forgiveness to someone else. Or just be thankful for the grace that God's given us that we're alive and here today and everything that we have. That's the start of a circle of grace. And the wonderful thing is that can continue to grow and deepen with Jesus forever and ever. So let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you gave to the woman who came to see you that day. We thank you that she was open to receive it and has demonstrated the love that can pour from a heart that's been open to you. I pray that all of us would have that same heart, that you would open us to the experience of your good gifts. We pray that we would be thankful for everything that we have. And out of that would flow grace and gifts towards each other and to the world. We pray that that would be the source of the grace of reconciliation that flows out to change those around us and the world in which we live. So, Lord Jesus, we pray we'd start that in us afresh again today. Amen.